Dr. Jana is a New York-based sex researcher, writer, and educator. She has a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University, where she studied how different aspects of sexuality, in particular casual sex and promiscuity, are linked to health and well-being. She's currently an adjunct professor at the NYU Psychology Department, where she teaches a course on human sexuality. In case you didn't know, BBXX in one of its earliest forms actually came from a research project that I did in college. Stemming from my own frustrations with having had absolutely no sex nor emotional education, and that was being from the San Francisco Bay Area, I started doing in-depth interviews with other students, wanting to dig deeper and to know if other people had similar struggles and frustrations. What came out of it was an art project in the form of a cookbook filled with questions and stories that revealed the consequences of a systemic lack of sex and emotional education and how that came out on college campus relationships. Mixed with research and funny recipes that helped provide some of the insight and education that most of us hadn't gotten at home or in school. What also came out of it was an extremely high demand for it, which not only proved that there were other people going through the same thing as me, but that basically everyone was. And so began the growth and evolution over a span of seven years into what BBXX has become today. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, Jana. Thank you for having me. Um, to start out, I guess just tell uh, our listeners maybe a little bit about your background and how you came to be where you are today in this this area and this expertise. I grew up in a very different culture in Mas- Macedonia. It's a small country in Southeast Europe where I went to college. I studied psychology and then I always knew I wanted to be a scientist. I always knew I wanted to do a PhD. I wasn't quite sure what that was gonna be in, but that was the general plan. And then when I finished my degree in psych, I asked myself, what is that one thing that is gonna keep my interest for the rest of my life? Because once you pick a PhD topic, you're kind of stuck with that topic for a while. So I wanted to make sure I made a good decision for what that was going to be. and it was sort of an obvious answer. Of course it had to be sex. It's the most interesting, fascinating thing I could possibly think of and most definitely the thing that was gonna keep my interest for the rest of my life, so. And then I went to do a PhD. I went to Cornell for a developmental psych degree where I focus specifically on sexual development and how that is related to mental health and well-being and sort of thriving, psychological thriving, and how different aspects of our sexuality, especially the more marginalized aspects of sexuality, the ones that we're not supposed to do, and yet many of us have the desires to, to do, how those get navigated in, in this landscape where you're not supposed to do the things and so all you're not <laughs> supposed to do any of the things <laughs> well or you can do very, them but then don't talk about i them. mean there is this narrow very narrow box in which our sexuality is supposed to fit the traditional notion of one man one woman in a long-term relationship preferably marriage and they're having just sort of regular vanilla sex with nothing too crazy never incorporating anyone else small pretty narrow box. small box yeah and th- are there people who fit in that box sure yeah but many of us don't and 
And the farther you are from that box or the bigger box that you need in order to feel fulfilled sexually, the more difficult it becomes to navigate that and do it in a way that's healthy for yourself and ethical and healthy for the partners that you're doing it with. So that's that was my driving force. I wanted to study how that happens and how do you stay healthy and health, happy and ethical while you're doing or desiring and then doing things that our society says you shouldn't like casual sex like non-monogamy like non-heterosexuality and promiscuity and so on mm-hmm. speaking of casual sex you have actually a research project based around that um love for you to tell our listeners a bit about how how long ago you've started this how long have you been working on this and um what have some of the findings been Well, I've been researching casual sex for quite some time. That was the topic of my doctoral dissertation. So I collected data on college students around their hookups and mental health. And that was probably about 10 years ago at at this point that I started collecting that data. Then when I got my PhD and moved to New York, I decided to create this space, this online space, this project that I call the Casual Sex Project, where I wanted to get people's stories of hookups that went beyond just the college student because there was there had been so much research on college students as if they're the only people hooking up out there and those were the only perspectives that that were being heard and so i wanted i knew that non-college students are also having sex both the older and younger and people who've never been to college and all that 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 college is not the only place that that happens and i wanted the perspectives of all of those people so i created the casual sex project which is kind of an online repository of hookup stories that people can submit as long as they're true. That's the only real requirement. They can be amazing. They can be terrible. They can be eh, whatever. They can be, they they could have happened a long time ago or more recently and involved any number of people and types of people and all that. As long as it's sex that was done outside of the confines of a long-term committed relationship, whether it's a one-night stand or kind of a friends with benefits, or a visit to a sex worker, or something like that. So anything can uh, can qualify. And at this point, so I created that in 04. So it's been about four and a half years that that's been running. And we have over 4,000 stories, hookup stories from people from all over the world. Pretty much any country that exists out there, even the most conservative ones where people think, oh, there is no casual sex happening here. There, there are stories from people from there. So it's, pretty, it's a pretty fascinating and large collection of experiences uh, regarding casual sex. Yeah, so going off of, and you kind of mentioned operational definition, but to, to clarify that, because I think part of kind of sometimes the problem with casual sex is that people have very different operational definitions. So to kind of clarify that for our listeners. Absolutely. And it's not an easy question because different people do have different definitions in their minds of what casual is. And many people think that casual is a terrible word, in fact, to describe what we're trying to describe. And even in science, you look at 10 different studies that have studied casual sex in one way, shape, or form, and they might define it somewhat differently. So there's no one definition. The definition that I use is relatively broad and is meant to encompass all of the sexual experiences that happen with people 
who you're not in kind of a long-term committed relationship with. I think of casual sex as as a range from in, that that depends on how well do you know your partner. The more you know them, the less casual it becomes. Uh, how com- how emotionally attached to them are you? Do you care about them? Do you like them? Do you love them? And so on. And then how committed are you in continuing a relationship of some sort with them? And so you can think of the one night stand with a complete stranger whose name maybe you don't know because you met at, I don't know, at a sex party. You had sex once and that's it and you never see them again. That would obviously be the most casual of the casual. And then through maybe a short fling that you had with someone on vacation that was a two three day thing and you know you, you might never see them again but you had a really fun time those couple of days uh, can be a, a fuck buddy type relationship where you call each other up every now and then every few weeks or a couple of months or so you come over have some fun and then you don't have much more interaction with that person in between those sexual meetings or it could be a friends with benefits situation where you're more than just the occasional fuck, right? But you you have a sexual component to the relationship as well as a friendship component. So you might do other non-sexual things together, like go out or meet with mutual friends. And um, every now and then you also have that sexual component. So, and I, I would I would think of the friends with benefits kind of in that in that middle, kind of getting into the gray area of okay, yeah. is this casual now at this point or is it not? Because sometimes I feel as though too there's kind of even a more extreme where people you can be dating somebody and it, it checks all the boxes of a relationship. Maybe it's, you know, committed, you don't want want to be dating somebody else, except for the emotional attachment one. It's emotionally casual. You know, maybe you're seeing each other consistently, maybe you're exclusive, and it might not even be mutual, but sometimes on one side or, or the other, there's that kind of casual emotional aspect. So looking at that and how that compares to the other. Yeah, I, I think in any one relationship that you have with people, and I use a relationship very broadly here, even a one night stand is a one night long relationship or a hour long relationship. So in any one of those experiences or sexual interactions, you can kind of think about where are the dials on the, how well you know the person, how attached you are and how committed you are to staying with them. And so, yeah, that can vary. can have, those experiences can have very different quality, like subjective quality to you, depending on where the dials are on these three kind of general, characteristics of a sexual encounter and how you feel towards that person. One thing that a lot of people associate with the definition of casual sex and also the reason why a lot of people don't particularly like the word, the name casual and would like to replace it with something different is that in in many people's minds, casual means no passion, no intimacy, very detached, very mechanical in some way. But anecdotal evidence seems to suggest that Americans in particular tend to think of, tend to have this very dichotomous, very binary view of sex. So if it's, if it's a casual partner, then you don't put any of yourself in it. It's this mechanical thing, body part going into another body part and that's it. And we're not going to put in any any passion, any uh, things like cuddling or, or I don't know, kind of closeness of any kind and not even give respect to the person, not 
treat the person as a human being, kind of treat them more as a glorified sex toy, really. And then when it's a romantic long-term partner, then that's where we put in all we've got kind of thing. And I think that's really harmful. And that's a lot of the reason why very often casual encounters end up not being very satisfying or pleasurable because in order to have a good satisfying experience regardless of whether you just met that person or you've known them for 20 years the more of this passion and intimacy and respect and communication you have the better it's going to be for everybody involved everyone's going to enjoy it more and what I would really really love to inspire people and encourage them to do is to give as much of themselves as they can in that moment, even if they're never going to see that partner again. The power of vulnerability. Yeah, and we, as humans, we're capable of doing that. We're capable of these casual, intimate connections. I'm, I'm honestly trying not to laugh inside because <laughs> having lived in Latin America, just mm. everything you're saying <laughs> is so... <laughs> Is so true. I mean, especially it's not like casual sex doesn't exist there, but I think people manage to really take it, take it to the next level and really live a relationship for a night or live a relationship mm. temporarily. Or there's even just this different perspective. It's like it's not a one night stand. I think without cuddling, for example, mm -hmm. versus here, people are afraid of cuddling. Mm. It seems as though in Latin America, that touch, that intimate touch, that be it cuddling or whatever, that closeness, um, people really let themselves go and they don't hold up those barriers nearly as much. And I think yeah. that kind of changes the, the entire experience. Absolutely. And it's so much more nurturing and fulfilling because we don't go into sexual encounters. The vast majority of us doesn't go into sexual encounters just wanting the orgasm or whatever the sexual pleasure. We, there are more needs that are met in an interaction, sexual interaction with another human being than just getting to come. And when you ask, do you take any survey of any people, it doesn't matter whether they're college students or think of the most recent hookup that, that you had, what were the motives? What, what, what led you to engage in that? And of course, sexual satisfaction is going to be pretty high on the list. But then most people will also say things like, I wanted to experience some emotional connection with another human being, or I wanted to, uh, I wanted to connect. I wanted to have some emotional needs met as well. And that's perfectly understandable that we have these basic human needs. There, Researchers have been talking about three basic psychological human needs that we have. Autonomy or feeling that you're in charge of your life, that you're in, in control of your behaviors, that the things that you're doing, you have chosen to do. Uh, the other one is competence feeling that you're good at what you do, that you are actually capable of ac accomplishing the things that you wanna accomplish. And the third one is relatedness, the feeling of connection and, and closeness with other people as you're doing the things that you're engaging in. And so we all, the, the more we stri strive towards meeting these needs in everything that we do, the happier we are, the healthier we are, the longer we live, it's this, positive spiral of growth and and well-being and the more you can make any sexual interaction meet those needs the better it is for everybody and i think you mentioned kind of those evolutionary needs um 
and touching on that and how science and research also shows that physical touch is just this this need and intimacy is this need and it was interesting hearing you talk because people talk about the orgasm gap and trying to close the orgasm gap but it almost sounds as though there's there's an intimacy gap as well which mm-hmm. i think research is also beginning to show whether it be um you know in the context of of one night stands or casual sex but also you know do through technology and all of that Absolutely. There are different, that's a big cultural difference, right? Some cultures are very, very touchy-feely. Obviously, Latin America, where you spend some time, is one of those cultures. And a lot of a lot of parts of Europe as well, South Europe, Eastern Europe, we do a lot of touching and kissing, and even people that you're not sexually, romantically involved with at all, right? Even complete yeah. strangers, when we say hello, you exactly. say hello by kissing on the cheeks and that having that physical touch and that is critical for our well-being and so many people here and in other cultures that are less uh, touchy-feely feel feel neglected in a way feel like there's something missing if they don't have a romantic partner or a sexual partner then they feel starved of of human touch which is very sad it's true coming back i i really notice sex as you mentioned every time you greet somebody there's that physical touch and mm-hmm between friends um especially i noticed what was amazing in latin america is between male friends that they kind of have these intimate friendships and it's more i don't even want to say socially acceptable because that's not what it is it shouldn't be acceptable versus not just normal healthy and natural for them to touch hug whatever it is yeah, and culture, like share particular. a bed instead of sleeping right. on the couch and coming back really noticing that in the u.s you can go a week without touching somebody if you don't have yeah. a partner yeah. if you're not living in the same place as your partner you know you don't have that same built-in physical touch and and it is so easy to kind of slowly starve without that without realizing yeah. and men in particular in our culture are starved starved of that because they're only allowed sort of to be close with or physically close and touching with sexual romantic partners whereas women there's a little bit more leeway in that regard you can you can do that with your girlfriends but guys cannot do that with their male friends because yes they you might can be gay. do it <laughs> of course you can please do it so really though trying to incorporate incorporate that in no of course not a good sex educator if i didn't mention that there are people who don't want to yeah. hug and kiss and have that physical touch so yeah. obtain consent well then how does that if you're fulfilled elsewhere then you're not kind of searching for some random person or, or that fulfillment out mm. of necessity and desperation you're more only seeking that extra contact when when it's deserving of you do you know what i mean when it's instead of just desperation yeah and that's a really good point to bring up in terms of especially when you talk about casual sex what is driving those hookups if you and and research does show this i mean hookups are not especially hookups with people that you don't know very well when you haven't hooked up with them many times or it's the first time, they're not designed by the by their very nature of who these people are that you're hooking up with. They don't know you, you don't know them, you don't have the emotional attachment connection, you don't necessarily know if they're gonna even respect who you are and what you need and you don't have the communication of what they like, what they don't like, what you like, what, all of that. Because of that, you they're not designed to fill these gaps that you might have. And if you rely on them filling those gaps, you might be screwed. I mean, best case scenario, they will, 
right? Best case scenario, this will be a great, a great hookup where your sexual needs are being met, where the person is passionate and intimate and your emotional needs are being met. Best case scenario. Best case scenario, but it's a big gamble. I mean, casual yeah. sex is a gamble and the less you know the person, the more of a gamble it is, which on one hand is what makes it so exciting. That is a big draw for the people who are into hookups is because it is exciting. It's novel. It's new. You don't know. It's the adventure. It's the mystery. It's the risk. But when you're taking a risk, there's a pretty good chance that you're not going to win. You're going to lose on that one. And so you can have your emotional well-being and your self-esteem and your sense of self-worth. You can't make them reliant on this hookup being amazing and on this partner being amazing. You kind of have to have that that resiliency already that you know, you're good where you are. I mean, this, this would be fun, and if it ends up being a great experience, then amazing, but if it doesn't end up being a great experience, well, oh well, such is life, you know, I, I, don't, have, I don't have that invested. And so absolutely the more, the happier you are, the more you come into this without a lack, without something that is actively, acutely missing and you're trying to fill, the more you're likely to get that very thing. Mm-hmm. It's funny, there are a couple of research studies looking at some of these things that when people go into a hookup, when their motive for having hooked up is because they feel low on self-esteem, after the hookup, they're more likely to feel even lower on self-esteem. Whereas if people come into a hookup because they're already feeling pretty good about themselves and just want the kind of the fun, the excitement, whatever, the sexual pleasure, the the story, the whatever it is, then their self-esteem actually increases after the, that hookup. And so really, I just keep thinking it's that sense of identity and where casual sex people think about how well you know the other person. It's really more has to do with how well you know yourself, how secure you are in your identity, understanding your motives and and going back to the autonomy that you mentioned Mm -hmm. and really feeling as though you're in control because you understand why you're doing something and you understand the benefits versus the consequences, the gamble you're making. But yeah, that, that true sense of understanding and, and self. Absolutely, yeah. It's Casual sex is not for everyone. And even for the people for whom it is, sometimes it's not always the right thing to do. So some of us have a lot more, you know, everything has its pros and cons. Casual sex has certain cons and has certain pros how much do you value those? We don't all value them the same. Some of us can get a lot more from the pros that casual sex can offer, whereas other people can get a lot more of the cons that casual sex potentially carries or are much more sensitive to the cons. So the people who, for example, have very high need for novelty, we, we vary as human beings on how much novelty is good for us, feels good to us. You have the people who love roller coasters and there are people for whom roller coasters are way too much excitement in the brain, right? Uh, Same with anything, skydiving, rock climbing and and all that. And casual sex is kind of the skydiving of (laughs) of (laughs) the the, the sports in a way or or, um, rock climbing in out in the wilderness as opposed to rock climbing at the gym where it's much safer. But the excitement, the novelty that some of us really crave, casual sex is perfect for that. Mm -hmm. If you're a high novelty seeker, 
having sex with lots of different partners is going to be very intrinsically satisfying to you. If you're someone who, on the other hand, novelty feels threatening and scary because your brain needs way less uncertainty in order to feel excited. The novelty seekers, they need a lot of uncertainty or, or you know, not knowing in order for their brains to feel like they got their reward, they got their dopamine. The people who have l less novelty needs, you give them a tiny little bit of novelty, that's plenty for them, that's plenty. And there's so many of these characteristics, personal characteristics, social characteristics. You know, what is your environment? If you are surrounded by people who are going to judge you mm -hmm. a lot for having hooked up or hooking up a lot, then you're in a very different position than if you're in a very kind of sex positive environment where people are not going to judge you at all and you don't have to deal with any of the social stigma potentially associated with it. And there's so many other things around pleasure, like how well do you know yourself? You know, we have in casual interactions, because you don't necessarily know the person and the person doesn't necessarily know you very well or at all, and they might not care about you as we were talking about this whole detachment and whatnot during casual encounters, if you're someone who knows how to make yourself come or how to get sexual pleasure out of a situation, even if the partner is not super skilled, even if the partner is not super you know, in tune with your body or even not particularly caring about whether you're going to have an orgasm or not, if you know how to make that happen and if you have a level of assertiveness that is going to make that let's say that guy after he comes you're like no you put your hand here and you do this you know before you leave if you're one of those people then you're going to get a lot more pleasure even just the basic sexual pleasure out of a hookup than if you're someone who doesn't necessarily know as much what your body needs and feel confident expressing those needs to to get them met in that situation it's that kind of communicating with your partner being so important but also that communication with yourself um and i know that at one point i remember you saying in another talk you need to help your partner treat you the way you want to be treated yes. and kind of that that self-assertiveness um is being key to really any having any positive outcome of them you mentioned kind of the the risk aversion versus attraction to to risk and some of the social uh, circumstances, but I'm wondering if there are, because I think there are people who like novelty um, and who like risk, but not necessarily within the context of sex. Would there be any other chemical, psychological um, reasons behind that? Or would it just be that they're fulfilling that need elsewhere, be it through sports or actual mm. skydiving <laughs> or uh, why not? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. We definitely know that there are different dopamine receptors and dopamine levels and all that that are all implicated in risk-taking and novelty-seeking that is a, a broader trait that can get expressed in lots of different ways. But at the same time, it does seem like for some people, there's a very strong sexual component to that novelty-seeking, and for other people, that is almost non-existent at all. So you might have a crazy skydiver, rock climber, whatever, who has zero interest in sexual novelty, is perfectly happy with one partner forever and ever. So clearly there's more than just the, the dopamine piece. I, we, we don't know for sure exactly what that might be, but I was su 
I would suspect it has to do with you know the sex drive in general, how much sex drive somebody has, and so that to some extent might be driven by things like testosterone or um, estrogen or some of the other sex hormones Im- implicated in sex drive, and then different experiences throughout your life that can condition you in different ways, different value systems that you may have grown up with, to what extent sexuality was something that your mind kind of was allowed to go in a direction of potentially meeting with uh, with this novelty. And maybe as you were saying, especially if, if these people live in a, in a culture that doesn't support sexual novelty seeking, but they have the need, they have found another way to get that need met without the sexual uh, component. So it, it, it can be a number of different constellations of what are the novelty needs or risk needs and how they're being met. But there's definitely something in common. There are a couple of studies looking at, for example, the dopamine system in this one type of receptor, the DRD4 receptor. Well, there's several genetic variants of that uh, dopamine receptor. Two are the most common, and let's just call them the shorter and the longer version of that same gene that will code for the dopamine receptor. The people who have one of those versions are much more likely, like several times more likely to have things like wanting one night stands, having had a one night stand, having cheated on a partner, wanting to be engaged in things like exhibitionism, voyeurism, threesomes, kinky sex, uh, fetishistic kinds of sexual experiences, and so on, than the people who have the other version of that same gene. So there's definitely something genetic around the dopamine system that goes on with why some of us are more driven to all of these different sexual behaviors that are outside that simple box, little narrow box, and why some of us are much happier and more content in that box. That's so interesting hearing that kind of scientific part of things, Mm because I think a lot of people listening to that will go, it's just comforting to know that there's actually science behind this. But at the same time, there's so many social constructs from, you know, culture to media to, to movies to advertisements that that send these messages and it's just going back to that sense of self and you have to know how much of it is you and the motivation and how much of it is these external kind of in in the interview Mm -hmm. that I did with Peggy Ornstein Mm -hmm. where we talk about the movie Liberated I'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it's basically just documenting teens on spring break in in Mexico in Cabo and and just people trying to pretend they're something they're not mm. because culture says them not being in touch with their identity of self and knowing if they have the short or the long chromosome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and 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 there's just such a, there's so much um, kind of psychological dissonance that 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 can be really damaging. Absolutely, but also so freeing if if you really can be true to that. Yeah, just as culture can repress some of these desires that you might have, you might also find yourself in a microculture, if you will, and the spring break example is a, is a great example of that, where in that microcosm of, of spring breakers, the norm there is the opposite. The norm is that everybody is hooking up, that you should be hooking up, that if you're not hooking up, there's something wrong with you. And so you might get pushed into doing something that you actually don't want to do, just like 
our regular culture is saying, don't do that thing that you might want to do. And so the, the way you want to think about leading a life of fulfillment and happiness and authenticity is there are three components of yourself, of who you are, your desires, what you crave, your values, what you think is right, what you think should be done, moral and ethical and so on, and healthy, so your belief system, and then your behaviors. What do you actually do? And ideally, you want those three to be in line. But the key, the internal piece, is what do you want? Do you think that what you want is okay to want and, and have? And then going out and having it. And whether that means you're a super slutty person because of dopamine or because of whatever, and you need to then adopt the value system that supports you in being able to live that life. Because if you don't have that, then you have shame and guilt, right? If you have the desire to say, have lots of casual sex, but you have internalized all the values of your environment that says casual sex is bad, is wrong, is unhealthy, is a sin and all of that, then if you go try to do that, that's going to be very unhealthy, very damaging for you. So you want to kind of work on your value system to be in line with your desires and then make sure that your behavior, you're getting what you want and doing it safely and ethically. I love that. Um, especially because a lot of what we're trying to do with BBXX is give people, you know, this information, the, these stories, this insight to help them again get back to their sense of self and understand whether it be desires, but that one kind of being the way we think. Why is it? What influences it? What about the way I was raised, how I grew up, you know, school, politics, media? has defined that. And and I always talk about trying to help people change the way they think mm. so that we can change the conversations like these we're having and help open the conversation that kind of isn't being had enough. So changing the way we think and talk and then act as a result mm-hmm. and actually creating those changes necessary to follow through on on our basically desires, values, and behaviors. So yeah. it really mm-hmm. I call is amazing the, to hear uh, that. The sexual authenticity model. As some of you might know, but many of you may not, we are blocked from Facebook and Instagram and are unable to advertise our content. Even PG images and captions and educational content is blocked and flagged as illicit or inappropriate content. Because of this, we truly ask that if you like what you're listening to, you share this with even just one or two people who you think might enjoy it as well and help us spread the good word. And if you want to be truly amazing, if you could go rate the podcast and write a review on iTunes, one of the only ways to help truly get the word out is by working our way up in the rankings and eventually making it to the featured section. We really appreciate your listening. And if you have any feedback, ideas, or suggestions, or requests, please let us know at hello at bbxx.world. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to the BBXX podcast. You can learn more on our website or on our social media at bbxx.world. And if you believe in what we're doing, please do help spread the love by sharing this with someone you care about. Until next time. Oh, 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 oh,